0: All right, Baldry's beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Let's start with the police action on Hastings Street yesterday. Adam Palmer, mm-hmm. the Vancouver Police Chief, was my first guest this morning, yeah. and he said it's not over. They're nope. going back in there today. Well, as
1: you and I speculated yesterday, this is not going to be a one-day operation. Yeah. There would be people returning and will probably be returning again tomorrow. So this is going to go on for some time.
0: Yeah, he said that they didn't get all the tents removed yesterday, so they're going in to remove the ones they didn't get to yesterday. But then there's new, new tents sprung yeah. up overnight. So like a lot of the people down in that neighborhood said, well, you can move us along if you want. We're just coming back. Some, so I'm probably not in the same numbers, no, though.
1: No, nowhere near the same numbers. Yeah. There's going to be a hardcore group that will persist, and maybe that's just the new reality. It's just a handful of people, rather than this
0: block-long
1: city, that became entrenched for so long.
0: Let's listen to the police chief here. So this is Adam Palmer. Let's have a listen. Street level assaults within the encampment have increased 27% and nearly half of those are now being committed by strangers. More than two times a day, a person is being assaulted in the encampment and approximately one third of the assaults are serious assaults or involve a weapon. I think the public is on his side. What do you think? I think totally on Uh, the the side of- Largely. uh,
1: because, uh, again, because this is not just a homeless encampment. This is now an ongoing crime scene, as Chief Palmer points out. And we talked about this the other day, the number of women who are sexually assaulted in that encampment. Yeah. How anyone could actually uh, support this when this type of level of criminal activity is occurring and people being physically harmed is, um, is bewildering.
0: Yeah, he brought that up again with me this morning and, and he pointed out that, look, these are not our statistics. This was a survey that was done by Atira Women's Services mm-hmm. there, which is one of the many third-party service yep. providers down there. They did a survey of all the women in the uh, on Hastings Street and they found 100% of them, every single one of them, reported that they had been victims of violence, including sexual assault. So how can so, anyone support the ongoing
1: yeah. activity? It's just, it's bewildering to hear these some activists say this has to, has to stop, this has to be uh, allowed to continue. Well,
0: I, I guess their argument, though, is where do people go if they and have that's a else valid
1: argument. And we talked about that before. There, that that's the other side of the equation. Where are the shelters? Where are the places to go if you're not going to live in that particular encampment?
0: Although I will say, one of the leaders of the protesters who was on the show here yesterday said that they they phoned every shelter space in in the city and said there were only two two beds available. Exactly. And then, the, but then the mayor came out later and said, "Well, actually, as we went through." There were only eight people who requested shelter, and we, they all got shelter. Eight.
1: That's, again, but that's you know, He said
0: everyone that asked for shelter yesterday got shelter.
1: And it's still unclear what type of shelter are we talking about.
0: Well, it's just an overnight thing. This is not yeah. permanent housing.
1: No, but some of these shelters, and this is, they've come back from some of the residents, are, well, I don't want to stay in a beetle-infested, rat-infested shelter. Yeah. You know, that, I'd rather live in a tent on a street.
0: Right, right. Let's listen to Paul Mokri here. This is the Vancouver City Manager and he makes an interesting point about what was the purpose of this operation yesterday. Let's listen.
1: Most of the people in Vancouver who are unsheltered are not on Hastings Street. They're in other parts of the city. That's not going to change with today. What we're seeing here is a situation where this
0: encampment in its current form is clearly unsafe. That's what we have to deal with today. It's not going to solve the issue of homelessness. Yeah, so this is not a you know an homeless issue.
1: No, exactly. This is an encampment that had taken on a new life. I mean, there's homelessness in all cities. Downtown Colona, there are people sleeping in doorways. In downtown Victoria, you walk down Fort Street, Pandora Avenue, uh, you see people, uh, homeless people sleeping in in storefronts. In Victoria, the rule is the police basically do a sweep, and everybody has to leave by seven a.m and go somewhere else and the store is open for business but there are people sleeping in the streets in all cities in, in British
0: Columbia. Well I we had two calls in the open line earlier from Nanaimo saying oh, oh Nanaimo. We, wish, we wish the police would do the same yeah. thing no, I here. Heard your,
1: I heard George from Nanaimo on the show uh, talking about just that. I mean Nanaimo is, seems to be especially sort of the twin uh, to what's happening on Hastings, and we've seen of course the fellow shot in the stomach yeah. uh, going to retrieve uh, equipment stolen from his shop uh, someone's been charged in that assault, but Nanaimo uh, is pro- arguably the second worst place in BC.
0: Let's talk about the minimum wage announcement yesterday, and we previewed this earlier in the week, and we finally get the announcement. So, BC's minimum wage this is a big increase here, so it, it will be matched to the inflation rate.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect that perhaps they'd come a little short of that, but yeah. I did a piece last night on the news are pointing out that every province basically is in- increasing the minimum wage by the same percentage. BC is going to have the highest minimum wage because we had the highest going, in. but we're just a little ahead of Ontario. But Ontario, you know, Doug Ford government, conservative government, they increased the minimum wage by 6.8%. We increased yeah. the minimum wage by 6.9%, basically the same increase. Quebec is increasing the minimum wage by 7%. Yeah. Uh, Nova Scotia, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, basically all coming in around the 7% figure because that matches the cost of living.
0: Right, so that's the inflation rate, and so BC's minimum wage, this kicks in on June 1st, it will go to $16.75 an hour, more than a dollar an hour increase, it will be the highest minimum wage. That's a lot more than $1.85 I earned, in my first minimum Buck wage. eighty-five, yeah, eh? 85. Wow, that is, Oh, when were you working, like in the depression or something? <laughs> Okay. That was the 70s. The 70s, okay. Let's listen to Annie Dormouth here, Canadian Federation of Independent Business. They represent small business, and they had lobbied very fiercely here for a much lower minimum wage hike. Have a listen.
2: This comes at a very, very difficult time for business owners, much like all people right now. And that's that's really going to be the impact Is is this is yet another cost increase on top of many cost increases that the government keeps putting on the backs of small businesses.
0: Okay, they're not happy. Let's listen to the labor minister here though justifying the big increase. Harry Baines.
2: This will go a long way in attracting and retaining workers. The minimum wage workers have at least latitude to uh, to uh, afford uh, to continue to fall behind. Okay,
0: business though keeps getting disappointed here by the government.
1: Well, but again it's right across the border oh, yeah. in all provinces. It's not an ideological thing. I mean, the NDP government increase is exactly the same as the conservative government increase in Ontario. And interesting, small businesses is one thing, but I got some stats yesterday, 42% of the people on minimum wage work for companies with 500 or more employees. Those are not small businesses. So a lot of large companies have huge workforces that pay the minimum wage.
0: Okay. That's interesting because I guess, you know, so what are some of these big companies like McDonald's, I guess, or something. some of these big fast food chains?
1: Yeah. I, I haven't got that breakdown but I I that did surprise me. I didn't I didn't realize that many large companies. And and again I don't you're right it may be chains uh, yeah. of uh, a company that doesn't have 500 employees in one center but have them spread out in a number of outlets
0: I, w- I looked at some of those stats that you had on the news hour last night and some of them are really interesting too about showing the percentage of older workers who are making minimum wage too because yeah. I guess the perception is a lot of them are like like my two kids are both making minimum yeah. wage and part-time jobs only 21 home teenagers o- only
1: 21 know? are, percent are teenagers yeah age 15 to 19 yeah. so one only one-fifth of the people on minimum wage are the proverbial stereotype high school kids working at McDonald's
0: okay I think it's interesting though that the the public sector unions in British Columbia had also been demanding a wage increase matched to inflation and the government didn't give it to them. So the government said to their own workers, we're giving you less than the minimum wage, but then they tell private business you have to pay them you have to pay the uh, index to inflation.
1: Well, but public sector workers are making far more than the minimum wage. So <laughs> the need and Harry Baines's point was though the people earning the minimum wage are the least capable of dealing with the cost of living increase, yeah. if you're if you're earning sixty thousand dollars a year, you can you can deal with a cost of living increase of seven percent far better than someone yeah. making sixteen dollars an hour.
0: Real quickly, let's talk about the deal with the BC Nurses Union here. Speaking of public sector unions, and this is the one that will bring in ratios of nurse to patients mm-hmm. ratios. Right, let's listen to Armand Greywall here, president of the BC Nurses Union.
2: If you have the staff being able to respond in a timely manner and they're not stretched thin, having those uh, ratios will improve the quality of care.
0: How's this going to work now? Well, it
1: remains to be seen because uh, we haven't really got a lot of details how this is actually going to work. So okay. we do have ratios though for different types of care, one-to-one in critical care, which has been the, the case uh, anyways, before going into this. Well,
0: one nurse for one patient. One patient,
1: yeah. Okay. And that's, uh, that's critical care. But then it's one to two, one to three, one to four, one to five for different types of. The more serious the care, the the lower the ratio. Sure. Um, But we don't know how it's. I actually asked this in the technical briefing. How is it going to vary from hospital to hospital? Have different staff numbers in small towns and large towns, urban versus rural. So, it's a work in progress. It also means the hiring of. I think something like 7,000 more nurses. Oh, where are they going to find
0: all these nurses? And
1: that was one of the questions we put in the news conference. Didn't really get a a clear answer. BC's competing. We've been competing for years for nurses. But we have in the last four years, we have hired um, 8,600 nurses of different types. Um, Registered nurses, uh, licensed practical nurses, community care aides. Uh, so we have been hiring on a continual basis, eight, yeah. more than almost 9,000 nurses in the last four years. And that con- that hiring will continue. Yeah. Uh, but we're competing with other jurisdictions, other provinces, other uh, international. Now we've opened up the ability for internationally trained nurses to come and work here. So uh, the, the race is on to uh, find doctors
0: and nurses. Scott in Maple Ridge. Hey, Scott, go ahead.
3: Hi there. Um, so I'm a nurse. Uh, a couple of things about this uh, con- the contract coming up. They're talking about nurse patient ratios. Let's say on a medical ward you have 20 patients, you have four nurses, so you got five patients per nurse. One of those okay. nurses phones in sick. Oh. Right now, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of sick calls are not being able to be be covered. Yep. So now you have three nurses for those 20 patients.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, there's no indication about how that's going to be handled. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I like to talk about the contract is the disparity that's going to happen between nurses who have a regular position and a casual nurse. So mm-hmm. a nurse with a regular position phones in sick, or they go on holidays, and me as a casual nurse, I fill that position. I'm going to get paid two dollars and fifteen cents an hour less than that nurse with a casual than that nurse with a regular position.
0: Hmm. Okay,
3: that's now,
1: very all, interesting. all good points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of the the illness, that's a very valid point we've had a record number of illnesses in the pandemic uh almost double uh, on a weekly basis the number of p- uh, healthcare workers off sick than is normally the case so that's an ongoing problem we don't know how that's going to fit into this new nurse ratio nurse patient ratio thing when someone does phone in sick what happens to the ratios i assume they're not going to be filled
0: hey scott are you still there Do you think, like, when the government's here talking about, well, we're going to need seven thousand more nurses here? Like, are they trying to hire more people? I mean, you guys are so short-staffed.
3: I don't know. I don't know whether or not they're going to have to, like, you know, all you know, the number of nurses that were let go because they didn't get vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they're going to have to, you know, change their change the position on that and you know rehire all of those nurses. If they can. I know a lot of those the nurses that were let go because of that, they moved to other other um, jurisdictions like Alberta, mm-hmm. you know, that didn't have those those restrictions.
0: Okay. Interesting. Thank you yeah, for a, that. A relatively small number of people. Well that's that, the thing. Well, how, many, how many unvaccinated nurses were there? Do you remember? Well in total of all health care workers it was around two thousand.
1: But okay. those weren't all nurses. Yeah. Those were those were long term care home workers. For the most part, we're long-term care home workers, actually, yeah. more than nurses in hospitals.
0: Let's go to Rob in Vancouver. Hi, Rob. Go ahead.
2: Oh, hi, Mike. Um, I was just wanting to comment on the, uh, you know, the homeless encounter coming to a head at this time. It seems a real act of serendipity. Um, look, uh, jobs are going begging. Um, the minimum wage is going up. What a perfect time for these people to go out get a job get have, a you, have you seen uh, some
0: of the did you see some of them talking on the news last night
2: i was actually down at um the empress hotel down in and hastings and okay. uh it's a bunch of old retired fixed income people like myself and uh there was a distinct lack of support for the uh Individuals creating the bus out in the street.
0: Okay, well, the point I was trying to make, though, is that some of some of these people, if you're hopeless, hopelessly addicted to heroin or something like that, you mean. You're not going to get a job. You're going to get a job? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, no. Like, it's, it's,
1: it's not a simplistic solution here to say, oh, go get a job. There's a yeah. lot more to it than this. There's addiction issues, there are mental health issues, yeah. and other health issues
0: as well, not just mental health, but physical health. Yeah. Scott in Richmond. Hi, Scott. Go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife and our son—he's addicted to pentol—and um, we tried three times putting him to rehab, and three times he got kicked out within a week. So finally, why, why he did he? Why rock.
0: did he get? Why did he get kicked out?
2: Well, he did things just to get kicked out, so he, so he didn't want to stay. So basically, we turned our back on him, and he went. He finally hit rock bottom and went in it on his own. And he's in the Redfish program,
3: he's been treating sober over for almost a
1: year now. Wow, I'm b- happy to hear We're that. happy to hear that. 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah, no, know lots of families in that situation have phoned in. Um, it's very troubling, but I'm glad to, uh, glad to hear that he's on the upside.
0: Well, this is the thing, though. We've heard from a lot of people who are having trouble getting, their, getting loved ones into treatment, too, even yeah. when they want treatment. treatment and one beds. of the tragic parts of this is sometimes you reach a point where you want treatment, you're ready for treatment, and there's no bed available. Yeah. You've got to wait for months, and by that time, you're starting to use again. Like I've talked to doctors who are yep. just heartbroken of dealing with the no, situation they, like the that. The lack
1: of treatment beds in some jurisdictions is an ongoing yeah. problem, no question.